and welcome to the Irish Times Books Podcast with E.M. Reefy, held in association with the Irish Writers' Centre in Parnell Square in Dublin. I'm Laura Slattery and I'm thrilled that the Irish Times Book Club title this month is Elizabeth's gripping debut novel, Red Dirt. Red Dirt follows a trio of Irish emigrants in the wake of the crash as they move about Australia from the hellish eternal house parties of the cities to the nowhere country of Outback Bango Farms. Reviewing Red Dirt for the Irish Times, Sarah Gilmartin hailed it as a story that moved from humour to poignancy with ease, while Ailish O'Hannon in The Independent praised Elizabeth's dazzling ear for dialogue in a confident and distinctive debut. Published by Head of Zeus in 2016, Red Dirt led to Elizabeth being named Sunday Independent Newcomer of the Year at the Irish Book Awards last November. From Mayo, she has an MA in Creative Writing from Queen's University Belfast, she was listed for the Penn International New Voices Award in 2013, and her work has featured in The Long Gaze Back, an anthology of Irish women writers. Please welcome E.M. Reapy. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, welcome to this, the Irish Times Book Club podcast. Can you tell us, first of all, what was the starting point for Red Dirt? What was the genesis of this beautiful novel? The starting point was, uh, it was a short story that I wrote... Um, that I kind of got an idea. I was living over in Perth and I, I wasn't writing, and, but then I was hearing kind of stories and I was meeting lots of uh, young Irish people at the time and some really wild people. And um, I just had an idea of, um, you had to go and do farm work in Australia to get a second visa. And um, I just had this idea of like um, these lads going up that didn't really like each other, but that they were all Irish and they were hanging around together because of that. And then that something happens in a car and they decide to leave without someone. So they were really keen, essentially, not to come back to Ireland, or at least they felt that there were no opportunities here for them at that time. That They would go and do this kind of gruelling farm work in order to fulfil the conditions of the visa. Yeah, at the time... Um, most people were going to stay there for two years. There wasn't any work really in Ireland, e- even in Dublin. There was just, there wasn't too much. Yet. And not all the farm work was bad. Uh, some of it was great. Um, it just depended on where you went and, and who you got in with. So, so some, I worked in a lovely place in uh, a really nice orange factory. So, so, I mean, it's often sort of said that the sort of the best drama comes from, from good people making very bad choices, and Red <laughs> Dirt seems to fall into that category. So while they're out there, maybe they made some bad choices at home, but while they're, it, that's a pattern of behaviour that continues or even worsens uh, when they're in Australia. Can you tell us, I suppose, how you sort of thought about that as a theme? Yeah, I was kind of interested in, um, you know, how, well, life, you keep getting the same lessons until you learn them. And then you can, you know, but you have to sort of accept responsibility for what you're doing and and how you're causing the events around you to happen. And so I just wanted these really, and I was really interested in sort of self-destruction as well. And then to, to, you know, transport it to a place where it's just, it it was the thing with Australia was that it seemed so familiar, but it it wasn't really in, in many ways. Um, was it kind of like a kind of a parallel world or, or, or a frontier world? When it, how did it sort of seem to you? Yeah, it just, I mean, the cities were, you know, they're, they're amazing westernised cities, but the landscape and, and the size of it is just, I don't think a lot of the Irish people there sort of realised, you know, the vastness of it. I, I definitely didn't. Um, and also, you're, you're really far away and you kind of become aware of that. It's, it's a long way back to Ireland from there. 
but you kind of have to go there to know that, to kind of sense it. So the book is split into three sections and they're called Me, You and and Them and you're telling the stories of of three uh, of these Irish emigrants, Murph, Fiona and, and Hopper. And you've you kind of used different. Uh, you've 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 used the first person, um, second person, and then and then third person. Can you tell us why you kind of decided on on that approach? Um, yeah. Well, so I was writing Murph's uh, story first. That was the that was the bit that came first, and it was a, uh, it was sort of a confessional. And I had been when I was working in the Orange Factory. I was really I was listening to New Yorker fiction podcasts, and I was really inspired by Dennis Johnson's Two Men. It's a really dark story, but the, the narrator is from the start. He tells you the truth of who he is and that he's not a good guy. But you kind of, you want to believe in him, and, and then he does let you down. And I was just, I, I really liked that idea, and I kind of was like, oh, I wonder if I could do something like that with a character. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted him to be, he, it came, the voice came in first person. Um, in the Fiona section, it was second person, and then it went to first person, but it didn't work. And it took me maybe a year and a half to just go, oh, the whole thing should be in second person. And then with Hopper, third person, it was originally a monologue as well. But um, I felt that it kind of, it didn't work. It was a bit too crazy. And I wanted him to have sort of limited vocabulary and, and stuff like that, but it just didn't read that well. Um, so then I changed it to third person past and it worked way better and I, I think it kind of represented how he's sort of from, you know, a voiceless part of society or a, a really, you know, I don't know how to explain it. it just sort of people would be like, oh, them, you know. Yeah, those, they're those, dismissed, yeah. somebody who's been dismissed all his life. Yeah, really. and he's struggled and he, I mean, he's, he, he does some really stupid things um, but he's had to overcome an awful lot in his life too. But so, yeah, I just felt like that that worked for him. So there's a sort of a great sense of immediacy with the sort of danger that Fiona is in. She's running away from from the Fletchers, who are the farmers who try to sort of uh, enslave her almost in in their Mm -hmm. in their world. But um, I mean, they're they're her immediate foe, but she's kind of she's kind of using Australia itself as a kind of an escape route. Is she that that's what uh, the sort of sense I got from it, that Fiona has all these demons that she's she's still struggling with. Yeah, um, and and that was the thing with the second person for her too, was that she's sort of a victim, and I mean she is a victim in ways, you know, what the bad stuff is happening to her, but also her powerlessness is her choice, um, but it takes her a long time to figure that out. Uh, yeah, so there's stuff happened that's happened in Ireland that she's she's run from, but sort of I think it's kind of the way with the three of them that if they just turn around. They would see it wasn't so bad. They they were, they'd be able to face things. So I actually I really like the character of uh, Fiona's friend Tomo. I think it was in the original one of the original stories that you wrote. Oh yeah, um, fingers, yeah. Because I think I just always that sense of you know whether it's school or work when there's somebody there who can kind of get you through the grind of the day. <laughs> that's almost that's almost everything, isn't it? I mean, did you uh, is that based on anyone you knew or what went into the sort of creation of, of Tomo? Tamu is, well, I mean, he's a small bit inspired by someone that I met over there who was just really highly educated and was working kind of a job that he thought was stupid. And But he was just kind of, he'd be pretty <laughs> drunk a lot of the time too. Like, and I was really surprised to ch- chat to him about that. And I was like, all right, how do you know this? And he's like, oh, you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. I've got a master's in this. And it's like, 
oh, okay. Um, but he was really sound and he was really generous, but he also was a bit condescending about where he was too. Oh God, this is really unfair on the guy. <laughs> I hope he's not listening to this because he was great. Um, but he was a good friend then uh, and he was a good friend to people. And then, so that was, it was just a tiny bit inspired by him and then placed that sort of little bit of that personality into uh, the, the book, into a story. I kind of liked how um, Irish people over there, some of them were keeping up Irish stuff, you know, stupid stuff that we might have here, like, oh, the city and the country and, mm. you know, this kind of, like... And then over there, like, we were all just Irish. It didn't matter. But some people were holding on to the, the parochial kind of... Rivalries. Yeah, and that kind of thing. So I just... When, when I was writing Tom, I was, like, to put him... Set him against someone who is from the country, is the sort of complete opposite, but that he... They're having a power struggle. And he is... Uh, the other guy is his superior at work. So that was... Yeah, no, I thought that was really very effective. Um, what kind of extent did you sort of put in kind of deliberate echoes of what was happening or what had happened back in Ireland with the sort of the debt the crisis and the, the financial crash into the sort of the, the scenarios that these people found themselves in? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, there's kind of one or two things where... Um, you would have heard like stories over there, like the the part with the the girl, the rich girl, um, being her her mother being robbed from her giving that information out in Australia and that going back to Ireland was kind of something that I heard over there that that had happened and just um, there was kind of bits of that, but I don't know now that was I echoing. I guess I I was kind of angry about what had happened, so it was just coming out in the work too. Yeah, no, very. It's very, uh, it's it's very interesting um, to see this. Was they were kind of separated from what's sort of the the aftermath of the crash at home, and yet not really because it's sort of almost you know why they're there and it's sort of carrying the legacy of of what happened with them. Yeah, and I think at the time, I mean, it's kind of changed now again. It seems to have turned around, but at the time, a lot of people didn't see any future in Ireland, and and they didn't want to leave Ireland either, and they had to go. Um, I know I've said before I was in a really privileged position and I went to travel but that wasn't the case for everyone there was you know people who were migrants over there and they were they were looking to make a better life or there's people who you know their family couldn't eat here it was like and it just I don't know it was really extreme and it was really bleak in Ireland especially in the west at the time so um, so it completely coloured and informed their experiences and say you had a slightly different experience and uh, even five years earlier people you know on working visas would have had a different experience yeah yeah exactly yeah, um, yeah I think it was the, just the timing and, like there was a lot of um, it was just it, it, it felt like a mass exodus and I don't know if that was just because I was there but I remember just being in like um, Abu Dhabi airport and there was the gates for Melbourne and the gate for Sydney and it was just it was like being in Houston it was just Irish people because so you just kind of I'd know them yeah yeah <laughs> you just kind of get a sense of them by the the way they are and I don't know it's just really it's kind of bleak but it was kind of exciting too in, in a different way well we'd love it now if you could read a short extract from Red Dirt <laughs> okay um so to give a bit of context on this part um Murph, um, he's the speaker here now, and they're up on a mango farm, and this is the scene where he um, meets Fiona for the first time. 
I'm not sure. Is there anything else I need to tell you? There. Anyway, sure, I'll just read it and you can guess. <laughs> um, oh, Henk is his Australian boss. Henk returned, after, er, Henk returned at afternoon smoko. Uh, the Aussies called all breaks smokos, even if they didn't smoke on them. Him and the girls were unpacking the big shop. How's me boy? Henk asked, whacked me on the back and pulled me in for a bear hug. The rum was coming out through him with the sweat. Hi, Henk, I said, tearing away. Had a good time of it? He swept the room with his hand. These ladies are exquisite company. Some of the girls smirked and I noticed one of them looking at me, not smirking, just eyeing me. Henk, I got a question for you. Is there a new Irish lad here today? Did you get him over the weekend? Just, he's our friend from Perth and we'd like to show him around. New Irish bloke, nope. Got enough of a handful with you three. There is a Sheila. He paused and pointed at the starey chick. Fiona, here, say good day to your kinsman. I know you, is all she said, and she eyeballed me. Terror rippled through me. Had I rode her? I know you from back home. Oh, fuck, worse again. Well, that's grand. Welcome to Mangopolis. So, Henk, I think that a new Irishman is here. I turned my back on her while I spoke to Henk. Didn't have time for being the Cade Mila Falcha committee right now. Though she was behind me, she was still fucking boring through me with a look. No, no more Irish. You three men and the little lady, Henk laughed. Maybe he thought Hopper was foreign because of his accent. Henk, are you sure? Has a new lad started? Small, lean, browny hair. No, boy. I bloody said no, didn't I? I'll never understand the need for relentless questions I get from you lot. You young people are worse than feeding lorikeets. Now, out to work, son. Smoko is over. Wait, wait, Fiona shouted after me as I jogged back to my machine. The afternoon was heavy with heat. I wiped my forehead with the bottom of my t-shirt, giving Fiona a flash in my white stomach. What you want? I know you. Yeah, yeah, so you keep reminding me. Her body was slim. Her fair hair was to her shoulders. She had a small scar in a broken circle on her cheek and her eyes were sparkling blue in the sun. She put her hand on my arm. I looked at it. You're the builder's son, yeah? My dad worked for your dad. My stomach sank. Look, Fiona, or whatever your name is, I'm not my father. I didn't mean for people to lose their jobs and homes. Don't drag that shit halfway across the world. I pushed her hand away. No, wait, she said, and put her hand on my shoulder this time. It doesn't matter what happened back there. Everyone went mad, everyone, the whole country. I know your ma'am. She used to visit the nursing home, even after she quit. Even when your family got really, really, with the developments and all. She trailed off. It was nice of her, though. My gran is in there, Alzheimer's, completely gone in the head, her memories. She liked your mother. I love my granny. Isn't it mad the two of us are here in Western Australia instead of the West of Ireland? The times, eh? I got pangs. She spoke like home and looked like home, even though she had a good tan. She'd that Irish girl thing, the friendliness radiating off her. Here, fuck off with your giant speech. I've got stuff to do. I climbed into my tractor. You want to put ma'am in my head over hopper. That, that guilt was different. Ma'am's email saying, Skype soon, pet, or will you send on your new number, or let us know you're okay. I loved her, but I couldn't give her an inch or she'd be hassling me the whole time. Ma'am and her worrying. It never ended. I remember when she used to come home from the nurse, nursing home. This was well before the boom. I was in primary school. She always smelt of hospital and boiled food. She left the job when we moved into the new house. 
It was a five bed, had a jacuzzi, a bar, a games room and a basketball court just for me, which I only played in once ever with my friends. She acquired her posh, posh accent. There'd be no point ringing her now, for a while anyway, until this hopper mess was sorted, because she'd only get it out of me. She could pick up what was bothering me just from my voice and interrogate the shite out of me until she knew what was going on. I drove up the fields, I drove down the fields, I looked out for Hopper. At the end of the shift, Fiona was waiting. You'd want to have some manners, young fella, she said to me. Long day, not interested. I waved her off and walked towards my room. I needed a scrubbing and some food. She followed. Look, I don't know anyone here except you, and I don't really know you, but your mother was nice, so there's a good chance you are. Cromwell's owl lady was probably sound too. She stalled. Dust rose from the ground. Did you just compare yourself to Oliver Cromwell? She asked. I paused and looked at her. Her lips were plump. Her nose was a bit uneven. I could smell her ice cream perfume, and I tried to keep my eyes from the flesh of her legs under her denim shorts. I suppose I did, yeah. Fuck off, so, she said and walked away from me. I looked back at her and smirked. Thank you very much. Um, there's so much that's just great in that, in that one passage. I really love the sort of Irishness, if I can say this, <laughs> of uh, somebody, uh, Murph, thinking Fiona is friendly and sort of being delighted to see a friendly face, but immediately telling her to fuck off. <laughs> that's great. But even just in that, in that piece, uh, there's so much about, I suppose, Murph's... Um, attitude to responsibility or he really he doesn't he just doesn't feel responsible for anything and feels guilt at the idea that he sh- he should feel responsible for he, for for so much yeah he's pretty self-centered or selfish um well through through the whole thing he's he's just he doesn't yeah he doesn't want anything to do with what what had happened in ireland and he yeah he feels bad for what happened but he also doesn't want to acknowledge it. Doesn't want. He's just like no. Yeah, but I mean, in a way, he. I mean, obviously, he's he's not really. He's not responsible for his, his father, but um, he is responsible for um, a violent incident in the first third of the book. I mean, I don't want to sort of spoil spoil it too much for people who haven't read it. But Murph doesn't really take responsibility, does he? No, um, no, I don't. Um, so <laughs> the other um, Hopper, and, and so he appears in the first section, uh, and he basically uh, he's off his head on acid, <laughs> and ends up in a pretty tricky tricky situation. But then you kind of link up with him uh, in the final section, and we kind of find out a bit more about what happened to him. Um, so uh, what, t- tell me more about the sort of writing the Hopper. Was that the last section that you wrote of the book? Uh, yeah, it was. It was, and I actually, I rewrote it then again. Um, so, yeah, it's the most recent <laughs> of, of the pieces. But um, Hopper was this sort of mad character that, yeah, he, gives, he gets drugs for the guys. Um, but I sort of, when, when it was initially written and the Murph section was done, and then there was kind of, I, I had this female voice and I was kind of linking those stories and, and making it one piece. But I was really... Um, I didn't like how Hopper just, it, there was no resolution for him um, because the last we hear of him, yeah, oh, he does. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but also, <laughs> he'd kind of almost been deprived of his responsibility, hadn't he? And that was his backstory in Ireland was that he had been part of this family setup and in fact, it wasn't really his choice that yeah. it came to an end. He's, I think the three of them are heartbroken in, in different ways, but... Um, 
With Hopper then, I, when I was writing it, um, John Anthony gives a list of things that might get Hopper. And I wanted it to be that Hopper would meet all of those things on the road and they'd all be really benevolent and that you could see that he, he just was a liability to himself. He, he was the most dangerous thing that he could face. So the, the book is kind of, it's, it's, it's written, I mean, I, I said it was beautiful earlier, but it, it's sort of beautifully dark is probably more <laughs> accurate. Uh, uh, it's written in a kind of a terse ter- style that I think kind of elevates the, the tension of the, the situations that they're in. But, but there, there is a story there, I read, on, I read in one of the pieces you wrote for the Irish Times uh, book club about, there's a backstory to how you sort of came to sort of favour shorter sentences in your writing? Oh yeah, well I when I was doing my master's I, I, my comma bro- button was totally broken on my my laptop <laughs> and I couldn't, <laughs> so I was writing like pieces, I wrote a novel for my master's for Glenn Patterson he was my main tutor and I was writing short stories every week for Ian Sampson who was um, chair of the public writers group but um, yeah I had no comma button so I'd have to go and copy and paste it from the internet or whatever and that just started being too much hassle so I just made my sentences shorter. Comma free. Yeah you pretty didn't, much. You so. didn't think oh I'll experiment with semicolons and colons and. No I can't. <laughs> I, even now I'm, I'm not really confident enough to use them and I'm a bit weary using a comma even now I'm like is this even in the right place I don't. Full stop. Yeah full stop <laughs> new sentence. No, I, I love I love that I love that story. I was, <laughs> but it's it's it's. I think it works it works really well for the for the subject material here. Um, was there any kind of other? Uh, was there any particular literature literature or, or or cultural representations of of Australia that that inspired you? I mean, obviously you were inspired by your personal experiences, but was there anything that else that kind of fed into Red Dirt? I don't know. I'd seen. The film Walkabout, you know that one, and I mm. and I watched all the Irish sort of in Australia stuff like The Crack, um, and those kind of things. It was more films actually yeah. than books, but like I I love Australian writing. Like I, I love Tim Winton; he's definitely one of my favorite writers. But I w- I wouldn't say that that yeah I- influenced the writing of the book. I just really enjoy. Well, it's Australian such a, a, a filmic landscape isn't it and they have you yeah. know they have a great tradition of uh, Australian films I can see how how that would uh, and feed I into read, it. Um, oh I can't think of the name of the book now um, but it was about First Fleet the the ship over mm-hmm. and maybe that had kind of stuck with me a bit it was very haunting but I can't think of the name of the book which is terrible. Because uh, Irish emigration to Australia has a has a, a long history. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what was the path like to, to being to, to, to being published? How how did that work? Oh God, it was, <laughs> it was a long and winding. Yeah, it was it was pretty long. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. I, well, I, think I, I felt actually, like it was long. I, I read it. I, I read the story. And it it seems to be pretty normal that you know yeah. you go through a process. It takes a couple, a few years sometimes to for to 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 come to print. Yeah, I know. It, it did. It's. Uh, though the only thing is that when it was picked up it came out the following year so my actual the publication of it happened very quickly but the bit before it was long yeah um so I was writing a short story collection of these sort of stories of like young Irish people in Australia and um then a film producer got in touch with me over a different story that's not in the book another Australian story and and he had just seen because I'd written in my bio that I was writing a screenplay and he got in touch with me um, 
And then I went to meet him and he was like, oh, you know, maybe we'd collaborate on something in the future or whatever. And then I said, actually, I'll send you a better story than that. And I, so I sent him Feliz, that first part with Murph or whatever. And then he was like, oh, this could be a movie. Can we meet again? But it was too short. And he was like, do you have any ideas with it? And I did. It, the story wasn't ended in my head. So I wrote the rest of the first section. And then he read it and he's like, yeah, it's great, but it's not long enough. And then it was like... <laughs> Well, what about like a three part? And it was like the I had a female voice that was coming, in, and so that that sort of it just worked on it to make it one one female voice. And then yeah, the Hopper thing, I I wanted him to to, to make his way back, to have his own adventure too. And then anyway, the film board turned it down, so it was grand. Um, but I'd gone too far, and it had turned into something else. You knew, you knew you had created something that you needed yeah, to I think share. you kind of know you've created something when you don't have any control over it or something. It's become its own thing and you just have to try and bring it down or something and yeah, present it out of your imagination. But yeah, so that, and it was, I really enjoyed writing it when, when it got to that point where I wasn't in control anymore. I was just sort of following the story. So can I ask you, if you don't mind, what you're working on now, or is that, that too much pressure? No, um, I'm working on, I'm just editing. I have um, I had another bunch of sort of travel, travel stories, kind of, um, and I wrote them down, and in January and February, I kind of wrote the first draft, so I'm just editing that now, and uh, hopefully it'll be fit to sort of send to my agent by the end of the summer, hopefully focus but yeah and then I don't know what's going to come I feel like I'm almost clearing the way for the next thing I just I feel like those stories though too are important to me so I want to write them so the the travel stories are they kind of um I suppose are they sort of Irish people traveling uh the main character is Irish but no it's not an Irish thing it's actually more about um I think it's it's more about the body and health yeah, that's all I suppose I can say. That's what I think it's about anyway, sort of. <laughs> and yeah, someone just sort of travelling to, to figure out where home is. Well, thank you so much for tonight's uh, conversation. I would love it if you could all put your hands together for Elizabeth Reapy. Thank you. And just remains for me to thank everybody uh, for coming here to the live audience and a reminder that you can come to future Irish Times book club podcast here at the Irish Writers Centre and thanks to the Irish Writers Centre for hosting us and producer Declan Connan who's doubling on sound tonight thanks very much thank you